I need in front of me or feel like I need in front of me. Glad that you're here this morning. I appreciate you all giving me this opportunity and the elders giving me the opportunity to speak. Um, I'm going to lose this jacket. I will probably roll up my sleeves. Please, it doesn't mean that things are about to get real. I'm built, as you can tell, or cool weather. And uh, so I will get comfortable as we speak. But um, it's a great privilege to be able to stand before you. And I don't take that lightly. Um, as much joy as there is in this occasion, it is very humbling and very sobering. The role of a preacher, as we've said before, is to give voice to God's word. And so I pray that I do that effectively this morning. That's my only endeavor and my only desire, is to give proper voice to his word. If you will allow me a few moments this morning, I would like to tell you a little bit about my preaching style, because it might be different than what you are used to doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just might be and feel a little bit different. And it's not about me. It's about God's message. But um, it'll, it'll look and feel a little bit different. I ask questions um, as I preach. I don't expect you to answer out loud. In the spirit of doing things um, decently and in order, that is not my intent. But I do want you to actively engage in your mind and in your thoughts and um, we see evidence and pattern of that in the Lord's teaching. He asked questions, and he sometimes required answers in his teaching. I'm, uh, I think about one of the passages I love. I think about Jesus when he's speaking to Peter in John in chapter 2. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, you know I do, Lord. Then feed my lambs. And he asked him again. Actually, the first time he asked him, do you love me more than all these others? Second time he asked me, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know it's that I love you. And he asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. The Lord was, through questions, stirring up Peter's mind and his emotions to, to make sure that it stuck what he wanted Peter to do. And so I will ask questions out of all of us as I preach. Please don't answer them out loud, uh, but make notes or answer them as you please. I will draw upon our emotions some, um, and we're going to see and we're going to study John chapter 6. We'll see how much of it we get to today. But I will stir up our emotions to stir up our remembrance, to set our minds, and again, to solidify God's message, to help it make application. And so we will draw upon our emotions to some degree, but we're going to lay them upon God's word. And we'll see if they align and if they rest there, or if they stand outside of God's word. And if they stand outside, then we have to deal with those emotions and bring them into alignment with God's word. And I will use illustrations, and um, our Lord taught in parables, and he did so in a masterful way that I am woefully inadequate at doing, but he used 
used to teach in parables, and I think about the illustration of Nathan and David in 2 Samuel 12. And Nathan took he took David a little, down a little um, a little illustration, a little journey, and a story about a rich man and a poor man and the poor man's lamb that he loved, and how the rich man slew that lamb to have a feast when there was a traveler that visited. And David's emotions were stirred up, and he was agitated. And Nathan used it to teach and said, you are that man. And so then he delivered what David needed to hear and to know about his infidelity and about his murder of Uriah. So I will use those in my preaching style. I want to deal this morning, I actually want to introduce the subject that we're going to, Lord willing, cover for the next several weeks. And it's hard sayings, hard teachings, hard lessons from the Bible. <clears throat> and I want to move through those because they're important. They're a part of Scripture, and how you and I handle them have um, severe consequences. And so that will be our title and our theme this morning. Is hard sayings, and we took some inspiration in that from John in chapter 6 and what Frank read for us this morning. We will not make it through the entirety of John 6, Lord willing, we will next week. But this is a little bit different sermon for me, too, because it's a little bit topical, because it's going to introduce the thought of hard sayings. And we're, we're going to ask ourselves, are there hard sayings in the Bible? And we answer that biblically. And if there are hard sayings and hard teaching and hard lessons in the Bible, how do I feel about them currently? How does that align with God's desire and God's will for me? How do I handle them and how do I deal with it? Should I care about them? And so we'll answer those or we'll strive to answer those this morning. And in the coming weeks, Lord willing, we'll look at those hard sayings. And what's hard for you might not be hard for me. And the depths of the difficulty might be different for each and every one of us. But this is my outline and my hope and desire that we make it through this morning is, first of all, we're going to discuss what makes something difficult or hard. How might I react to that which is hard? And then as I apply those things to biblical lessons and things that are spiritual, what makes something in the Bible hard? How do I react to something in the Bible that is hard? How should I react? We're going to answer that question I already asked. Are there really hard things in the Bible? Why am I concerned about those things? Why in the world, given the opportunity to stand before this congregation for, I guess, the second time, why in the world would I choose to preach on hard topics? Well, because they are biblical, because they teach godly wisdom, and because at some point in our life, we are going to have to deal with these hard lessons. How prepared are we today to handle my reactions and my actions in the future? 
Forgive my spelling error, I just noticed at the end. But I want you to think for a moment, and likely many of you have already been there. But this is me stirring up your minds and your emotions. I want you to think about a time where you have experienced a hard lesson. Or if you haven't, imagine in your mind maybe you have. <clears throat> the elders have given a preacher the the opportunity to voice God's word from the pulpit. And he delivers something that is hard for you. It's hard for the congregation. It's divisive. It's received in a way that some are readily accepting it, some are not. It's a hard lesson. What do you suppose your feelings about that may be. What, what made it hard, first of all, for you? It could be that it was hard to listen to. Maybe it was very pointed, very blunt, we would say. Maybe it was hard to hear. It was personal to me, personal to my experiences. I've lived through it, or I've seen others that I love live through it. Maybe it was hard to understand. I really don't, I really don't know, and I'm not comprehending the depths of it. Maybe it's hard to accept, hard to believe, hard to embrace. That, that means internalizing it and making it a part of what I live out from then on. Maybe it's just hard to keep. <clears throat> but those are all potentially relevant thoughts and, and reasons to what makes something hard and difficult. And then I want you to stir your minds and think, how would I respond given that situation? How did I respond given that hard teaching? Did I seek to hear more? Was I listening more intently? I lean in, right? Because I, I want to hear what, what this guy's saying and why. Did I try to understand the context, the background, the experience of the speaker, the experience of the writer. Did I, did I give due diligence to think on what was presented? Did I compare it to other scriptures? Am I actively engaged in the study process? Did I test it? Did I validate it? Did I prove it? Or did I shut it off? Close it off? This is the image that we get from the account of Stephen and his stoning. You recognize when it says they stopped their ears, they stopped listening because they didn't want to hear it. But the, the imagery is they physically closed their ears. You guys have done this as kids when your brother or sister is picking on you, right? They closed their ears. And when that didn't do it, they made, they did like we did when we were kids, right? Oh, la, 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 not listening. Anything they could do to, to stop it from, from entering in here and here. Would we deny it without giving it due diligence? Refute it with my feelings? Refute it with counter arguments? Would I just ignore it? This is hard. I'm not going to deal with that right now. Would we rally others against it? Or would we just give up? 
Those are all potential outcomes of how an individual receives a hard lesson. And you have probably been around long enough already to have witnessed these. And that ought to break our hearts. I've been there in my short 26 years as a Christian. And those hard lessons were delivered. And I've heard individuals say, I don't care what he says. I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe that dot, 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 dot. Right? Well, I feel like I believe dot, 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 dot. I will never be back as long as he or she dot, 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 dot. That ought not to be so in the Lord's church. There is a way to handle those hard lessons. There's biblical examples. There's biblical guidance on how to handle those hard lessons. And that's what I want to get into today. So, why should we study hard sayings? Do, do they really exist, first of all? Or is Ben just... He's just stirring up our emotions and getting us going this morning. Well, we already read John 6, 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Those aren't my words. Those aren't my thoughts. John recorded these from the, the mind and the words of our Savior. Hebrews 5.11 says, of whom many things, uh, I, I didn't do well with that one, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. The, the speakers in Hebrews 11 that it is referencing, they wanted to tell more about Jesus to the people, but they weren't ready to hear it because their hearing was dull. It was hard for them to hear it. They weren't ready. They weren't ready to receive the meat. 2 Peter 3 and 16, as also in his epistles, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also other scriptures under their own destruction. 2 Peter 3, 16, maybe should be the flagship of this study. Why do I need to study these hard sayings? Because there's some things in the Bible that might be hard to be understood by us until we study. But unless I do so, my path might be to destruction. We'll, we'll glean some more of that here in the coming weeks, Lord Lord. Why should I study those hard sayings? Why preach hard lessons and teachings? What's hard for me might not be hard for you. What's hard for you might not be hard for me. I want us to recognize that first of all. It depends on our biblical knowledge and our spiritual maturity. And, and that's not intended to demean any of us or elevate any of us I, either way. It's just a reality that things that are hard biblically are hard because of 
my experience with them, my knowledge or my spiritual maturity, and particularly to that concept or that text or that teaching that is being delivered. If I've never experienced it before, if I've never studied it before, if I've never added that godly wisdom into my mind, into my heart, then it's going to be a hard lesson for me. Now, I'm drawing upon your earthly thoughts and feelings to help make that point. How many of us would feel really comfortable to stand up and solve or explain a trigonometry equation? It's logical that that would be difficult, right? It would be near impossible for me. I've never studied trigonometry. I have no idea why it's relevant to me. I don't know why I should care. I don't currently care about it. I don't know where it applies in my life. I don't know how to apply it in my life. Without those things, that's a hard lesson for me. If you wanted me to understand, and I can't even read that, if you wanted me to understand that, I can't right now because I don't know what I don't know. Who among us would feel comfortable standing up and explaining how or why an airplane rises in the air? How in the world is that possible? Right? Again, for most of us, that might be difficult. For the audience that was listening to that person explain it, that would be hard. If you don't have any experience with Bernoulli's principle, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. You're just going to have to trust me that when I push the throttle forward on that airplane, it magically rises into the air. Without knowledge and a foundation of Bernoulli's principle and what happens with low pressure and high pressure and how they interact with one another, it's a hard lesson for me. So why do we think it's any different when it comes to those things that are scriptural. My lack of knowledge, my lack of experience, my lack of understanding as to where and how to apply it are going to make some things hard for me. So what should I do with them? I have to study them. I have to preach them. Why? Because they're in the Bible, they're scripture. That, that's plain and obvious, right? If there are things in this physical world that are hard lessons for us, why is it hard for us to understand that there's going to be hard biblical lessons as well? Now, should I study those things? I, I said yes, you have to study them. They're scriptural. That's going to be my next point. But we said it before in many of our study classes here. We, we, have, to, we have to understand and we have to embrace the fact that God's will, God's word, Christianity, those are taught. I don't come to a miraculous knowledge of God's word. There, there was a time and place where maybe that occurred. We can study that separately. That might be a hard lesson. I don't know. But for you and I, and really throughout, throughout mankind's um, existence, God's will has been taught. It was taught to Adam and Eve. It was taught to Cain and Abel. It was taught throughout the generations. In Proverbs 22 and 6, the word tells us, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he shall not depart from it. How are my children going to come to know God? 
How are they going to know how to act? How am I going to teach my kids right and wrong? Train them up in the ways of the Bible. Proverbs 22. In Deuteronomy, God's people were told, you just read it. There's, there's, a, there's a profundity of depth here. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be a, as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. When were God's people not supposed to be actively engaged in his will and in his desire? From the time that they rose up in the morning, to the time they went down and laid down in their bed, to how they taught their children before they ate. Like it, it's all encompassing there. The entirety of their existence was to be aligned with God's will. And the only way to do that was to put those commandments in your heart and then diligently teach them. John 6 is our text for today. We'll cover this in more detail, Lord willing, today and, and next Lord's Day. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. That's enough in and of itself for you and I to understand. Christianity is a taught religion. It's not miraculously breathed into my ear, but I study it. I hear it preached. I read it. I study it. I make application. I reason through it. That's how I come to know God's will. Matthew 28 19 through 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's the Great Commission. We all know this in, in its parallel passages. The, the commandment to, to the disciples, to the apostles, was to go and to teach. Why? Because the people aren't going to know it unless you do. They don't understand unless you do. They don't, they don't know why I need to know yet. I had a preacher that was very fond of this story for a variety of different reasons, or this illustration. Maybe it's appropriate at this point in time. Imagine yourself going down the road, and you come across a, a single vehicle motorcycle accident. And you look down in this ravine, and 8, 10, 12 feet down at the bottom of this ravine is what you surmise to be the motorcycle rider. And He's got one arm twisted in a very odd and unusual way and one leg that is out of proportion and not where it should be. And imagine yourself standing at that ravine and saying, hello, mister, I want to tell you about Jesus. You need to be baptized. I saw some chuckles and some quizzical looks. 
that, that's a little bit absurd, right? I don't know what that man knows yet. It would be a hard lesson to preach to him eternal destruction when maybe he hasn't even heard of God or what God's will is or why it's important to him. Maybe he doesn't even believe in the Bible. Maybe he's never heard of the Bible before. Much less the fact that he's not in a place physically to be able to deal with it. So sometimes we have to be compassionate and edifying and compassionate and benevolent first to get them to a spot where they can receive God's word. And then we have to think about where I start and how I present it. But the point of this slide is knowing God's will requires teaching and study. So I've got to lean into these hard lessons because I have to know them. These things are biblical. So even if they are hard, they are biblical. You probably all know these and can recite them, but 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely, perfectly, through and through, throughly furnished unto all good works. How am I going to be furnished for, to good works? How am I going to know those good works? How am I going to be able to do them? By knowing God's scriptures. And so all of these things, whether they are of the Old Testament or they are of the New Testament, are, are valuable to my learning because they help me understand God and God's will and God's nature. And so I study them. John 6 63, again, part of our text. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. This bared out um, pretty well a lot of what we talked about this morning in our Bible study. Um, bear, is bearing out really well with this preaching as well. It is the spirit that quickeneth. That is an ETH that is ongoing. So it is the spirit that continues making lively. The flesh, ETH after profiteth, the flesh continues profiting nothing. Eventually it is going to die and decay and go away. The words that I speak unto you, this is my Lord, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. What is spirit? Go back to the beginning of the verse. It's those things which continue to make lively, unless we don't understand that. He just says it aptly at the very end. They are life. They are eternal life. My words are important to you because they are eternal life. How I deal with those then have eternal consequences. Why should we study hard sayings and hard teachings? Because there's biblical <clears throat> wisdom in those teachings. And we have to gain what is of value in them. The only way we will do that is to reason through them, to study through them. Hebrews 5, verses 8 through 14. Though we though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. 
and being made perfect, he became the author and eternal salvation unto all that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So we study these hard lessons because we need to understand that which is good in God's eyes and that which is not. And the only way to know what is good and evil is not to take a vote. It is not to gather the feelings of mankind. It is not for the federal government to set standards. It is not for the United States nations or anybody else. But it is to turn to the biblical standard of right and wrong. And there's only one way to know that. I've got to study it. I've got to reason it. I've got to build it in here. And so I have to lean into those hard lessons to glean that wisdom. There's biblical wisdom in them to be gained. And in order to get that wisdom from them, we have to study. I'm repeating myself because it's important. 2 Peter 3, verses 13 through 16. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, what are we looking for? We're looking forward to heaven. Be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom giveth unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do other scriptures, under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. We bared this out in our study this morning. We have to study the scriptures. We have to know what we know. We have to know godly wisdom in order to know that we have peace. I put in there unity. Forgive me for not referencing that verse. We will look at that, Lord willing, next week. But the only way to have peace with God is in Jesus. That is scriptural. That is not Ben's thoughts. So if there's only one way for me to be in peace or alignment with God, and it's in Jesus, I have to know that which my Lord and Savior taught. Even when it's hard. The only way I can know how to be free from sin is from the study of the scripture. The only way that I can know that I am blameless, righteous before him 
is to be in alignment with his word. And the only way to know his word is to study it and to put it in here. We have to lean into those hard lessons. We have to diligently study them. Or, in contrast, I put it in this slide because I want you to meditate upon 2 Peter 3 and those verses that are on the screen. This is not Ben's thoughts. This is not Ben making this a hard lesson. But this might be a hard lesson for you. In contrast to what we just said, if I am not a diligent student of the Bible, if I'm not seeking God's wisdom, if I'm not seeking how to apply it to my life, if I'm not trying to figure out why it's important, if I don't know how to have peace in Him, if I don't know how to be free from sin, if I'm not assured that I am righteous before Him, I can't look forward to heaven. The only hope for me, if we leave here today not in alignment with God's word, the only hope for me is what I see at that door as I open it. Because the next few seconds or the next few minutes or the next days or weeks or months or years are not promised unto me. The only hope I have is what's right there in front of me, good or bad, joyous or I don't know what the app word to replace that with. Frightening is only what's in front of me. That's the only hope I have if I don't diligently study the scriptures. That bears out in 2 Peter 3. If I'm unlearned, if I'm unstable in the ways that are aligned with God, there's a good chance I'll be led away into error. Or, I will just fall in my steadfastness. And eternal destruction is what awaits. So it's clear for us, hopefully it's clear after these few verses, that it's a necessity that we study all scriptures. Even those lessons that are hard. And we have to reason through them and we have to deal with them because they're scriptural and because they teach godly wisdom and it's the only way I know <clears throat> to be aligned with him 2 Timothy 2.15 says study to show thyself approved unto God pretty clear right a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth I have to study all the scriptures to be approved unto God to know how to rightly divide the truth <clears throat> Joshua 1.8, this is Old Testament, but it's valuable for our learning. We looked at that earlier. This is the instruction that was given to the people. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Preach it, teach it, speak it, remind each other of it. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Romans 15 and verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Where do I have hope? Only in the Scriptures. And only 
if I am diligent about seeking out the learning of them. They still apply to me if I ignore them, by the way, and we'll deal with that. But the only way that I know what I know and the only way that I have peace and the only way that I have hope is in the Scriptures. Revelation 1 and verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. Again, that was written at a specific time for a specific purpose. And for those who were under the persecution of the Roman Empire at the time, this meant a lot. Blessed are those that read and hear the words of this prophecy and keep them. Why? Because victory is already assured. Just remain faithful. For us, the lesson's the same. Victory is already won. Victory is assured, but it is conditional. My, prosper, my prosperity, my success, my hope is contingent upon my acceptance of the scripture. The only way I can accept it is to reason through it. The only way I can reason through it is to study it. Lord willing, that's what we're going to, to tackle in the coming weeks. So I told you this was a different, um, different study. This is not my, my normal path of of delivering a sermon, but I want to lay the foundation of God's word, God's principles, God's direction, so that we can lean into these hard studies and these hard sayings in the coming weeks. We're going to start with John 6. I'm going to end with a part of it here in just a moment. But we're going to get deep into John. We're, go we're going to go high, at a high level, John chapters 1 through 5, and then we're going to plunge into some of the depths of John 6. And there's a hard lesson there. <clears throat> That's not my words. That's recorded by the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Those disciples said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? But our conclusion today that it is that all Scripture is from God and is valuable to us. These passages in the Bible that may be hard sayings and hard lessons for us, we have to study them to glean the godly wisdom in them. Only with careful, intentional study of the Scriptures can we sharpen our sword and discern what is good and evil, be, be at peace with God, and know how to be free from sin and blameless. Only by obeying the word of God can I hope to enter heaven. So I've got to lean into that which appears hard. I've got to reason it out with careful, intentional study. I have to obey it. I have to keep it. I have to uh, learn by applying it to my life. And guess what's going to happen? I'm not always going to be successful. Sometimes I'm going to stumble. Sometimes those hard lessons are going to be a stumbling block unto me. And I've got to keep on studying, and I've got to keep on reasoning, and I've got to keep on making application in my life. I've got to do what God has commanded and keep doing it. If I entertain that hope of a home in heaven. I want to go back to John 6. And I do want to pull out just a few things. You give me another five to seven minutes, I will conclude. If you have your sword, you can turn there. I'm not going to have it on my screen, but I will read it. I'm going to go to John chapter 6. I'm going to start at verse 29. 
Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. We all recognize who that is, right? This is the work of God, that you believe on him who he hath sent. Jesus. Go down to verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. That, that manna that was delivered in the wilderness, it didn't come from Moses, by the way. That's what he told them. It came from God. But that bread was temporal. It sustained you physically. The bread which has come down from heaven, me, that's Jesus speaking. The bread that's come down from heaven is everlasting. It's eternal. It gives life unto the world. Go down to verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. In case they didn't understand what he was saying, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. That's E-T-H. Under, uh, after believing, it's ongoing. He that continues believing in me shall never thirst. Uh, go to verse 39. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all of which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Now that's you and I, church. This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given Christians, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and continues believing on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus explains the condition there. First part was, those that are mine will not be lost. But those that are mine know my will and keep it. <clears throat> Aptly said later on, those who love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Go down to verse 47 for the sake of time. I'm sorry, go to 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him. How does God draw us? Jesus just taught it in John 6. He's, he's making some conclusion now. How is God going to draw you? Through my words. Through me. This is a hard lesson. It was hard for them. It might be hard for some of us, but it's not a hard lesson. If we're experienced with it. Go down to verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. ETH, it's ongoing. Maybe we should read it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that continues believing on me, he hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. 
If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Go to verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. This is not the institution of the Lord's Supper. Lord willing, next week, we will get into the depths of that. But if you keep it in context of John chapter 6, this is Jesus. This is the bread of life. This is my word. This is my will that I'm delivering unto you. He that ingests it, he that eats it, he that keeps it, he that uses it to sustain him will have everlasting life. This isn't the institution of the Lord's Supper, in my opinion. And we'll study it and reason that out. Um, where did I leave off? Verse, uh, let's go to verse 59. Let me back up. I think I left off at 56. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, I live by the Father, so that he eateth, so that he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread, this bread shall have everlasting life. Many therefore of his disciples, verse 60, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can, who can hear? We'll plunge the depths of John 6, Lord willing, next week. But it's a hard lesson for those disciples. Because they didn't accept it. They didn't accept him. It bears that out in previous chapters, in, uh, I'm sorry, previous verses in verse 41. They murmured. Jesus of Nazareth. This is Joseph's son. What in the world does he think he is telling us that he came down from heaven and he's delivering the word. He's delivering to us that that's going to sustain everlasting life. That was their stumbling block. That's what offended them. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe who he was. They didn't believe what he was delivering. Why should they have? Well, because for, for five previous chapters it was laid out who he was. John proclaimed this is the Son of God. God proclaimed this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. They saw him turn water into wine. They saw him, um, they, they saw him restore to life the, um, boy, I'm getting confused, the ruler's son. They saw him perform miracles. And yet they said, who is this guy? I'm paraphrasing, of course. Who is this? Why does he think he has the right to deliver these words to us? That was the stumbling block. It wasn't that the lesson itself was too hard to understand. Jesus was saying, I, I am the way to the Father. And the only way to get to him is through my words and that which I give you. I'm laying my life down for you. And all those who will accept those things which I teach. All they had to do was be committed to him. All they had to do was be subject to him. That's all we have to do. 
finish this verse out and let it break your heart a little bit. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What if you saw the Son of Man ascend back up to where he came from? Would that be better? Would, would that help you accept who I am? Now, again, I'm, I'm adding to, and I probably should not. Verse 63. It is the Spirit that quickeneth, E-T-H, continues making lively. It is the flesh that profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. In verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. This is just too hard. I asked you to stir up your thoughts and emotions earlier. I conclude to you that many of those things that you might have listed, maybe they weren't on my screen, maybe you wrote down some other things, maybe you locked it away up here. Most of those things that you thought Somebody in that audience probably thought them as well. But ultimately, they rejected my Lord and Savior, your Lord and Savior. They, they rejected the bread of life, the Son of Man, the Son of God. And they walked with him no more. Already knowing, he'd already proved to them who he was. He already proved that he was capable of things that nobody else ever could have done. They even prescribed to him in the previous chapters. Surely no man could have done this except he came from God. But it was too much to be subject to him. It was too much to live the way he wanted them to live. It was too much to submit to his authority. And that needs to sink in and resonate with us. As we think about hard lessons from the Bible, and maybe that lesson in and of itself is hard for you, at, at cursory glance, it feels hard to understand. You want me to do what? You want me to eat of your flesh and drink of your blood? That's hard. But if you keep it in context, if you back up and study the entirety of the chapter and where they came from before they got to chapter 6, you start to understand that's not... I mean, that is what he's speaking, but the illustration is, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. All you got to do is commit. All you got to do is align with me, be in unity with me, and live as I have prescribed. But it was too much. But here's what I ask each and every one of you today. To the best of my knowledge, I think everyone in attendance here is a part of God's family. You are a member of the church, which our Lord established by the shedding of his blood. You're a member of that institution, which is described and prescribed in the scriptures. You are a part of the family. But nonetheless, we need to make sure we know what we know. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be free of sin, to be righteous before God, except through Christ, 
and in through and, and through what he promises and what he offers. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read all the scriptures I have on my screen. I do want you to go to, um, I think I want to go to Romans 10. Yeah, let's go to Romans 10 and verse 13, and we'll, we'll, we'll offer the Lord's invitation as we read through and think through these things. Romans 10, starting at verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon... I need to back up a little further. Let's back up to verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that the Lord... Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jews and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's plan, God's plan is clear. It should be clear. We have to hear the word of God. We see that in Romans 10. We have to believe the word of God. We have to believe on Jesus. We just studied that out in John 6 already. But we have to believe that he is the son of God. We have to believe that he gave his life for us. We have to believe that he rose from the grave. That he was resurrected. He overcame death because that is, is our hope. We have to believe on him. We have to believe the Bible. We have to believe his word. We have to be willing to repent. And again, for the sake of time, the one that we can probably all recite and are familiar with is the account in Acts chapter 2. And as Peter preached that sermon and hearts were pricked, 3,000 souls said, we recognize we have crucified the Christ. What shall we do? Understand the pleading there. It wasn't just an inquisitive, hey, what do we do now? It, it was, there was emotion evolved there. What We believe. We crucified the Christ. What do we do? Peter said, repent. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So repentance is an absolute necessity. Confession is an absolute necessity. We, we read it in, um, in Romans 10 there. Baptism is a necessity. We see it and acknowledge it in Acts chapter 2 and many others, and there's several on your screen. We can reason those out if you need additional scriptures. And it is a necessity that we strive to live in a manner that honors him and the commitment that we made. We put on Christ. That means we accepted his name. We subjected ourselves to him and his will. And so we strive to live in a way that brings honor unto him. We strive in a, will, in a way that brings us in alignment with him and puts us at peace with God. We can read in Revelation 2.10, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. That will be what we're all striving for. Each and every one of you are part of the family. You, uh, you, have, a, you have a deep, deep, blessing and privilege as part of the family that 
if you have erred or you have fallen away or you haven't been a diligent student of the Bible and the challenges and temptations of life have taken root and maybe you failed to honor seeking him first, maybe things, other things have become more important, maybe you have fallen into sin and that which is against God's word and God's direction, you have an advocate before the Father. That is there waiting to plead upon your behalf. And the blood of Christ has already covered you. All you have to do is invoke it. Repent of those things. Do them no more. Now we say if they're, if they're private, handle it private. You can do so. Go to him and repair. And I've talked too long. Go to him in prayer and stop doing that which you're doing that's contrary to his word. But if it's public or you need help from the congregation, that's what your family is here for. To bear one another's burdens. And I can't help you if I don't know. I don't want to know your sins just because I want to know what you're involved in. I don't want you to know my sins just because I want you to know what all I do. But I want to be righteous before him. And I might need your help. And I need your strength. And that's what it means to bear one another's burdens. So if you have a need to respond to the Lord's invitation, and we can help you in any way, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.